We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Ross Feingold, sitting in for Gavin Phipps. I'm joined in the studio this evening by Ivan Chen, a venture capitalist and expert in Taiwan's technology and renewable energy industries. Ivan, welcome to ICRT. Hi, Ross. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Also joining me in the studio is Brett Aaron, an investor and businessman who manufactures and imports global products into Taiwan. Brett, welcome as well. Thank you, Ross. Good evening. Tonight, we'll be discussing the search for energy solutions yet again, some challenges to the southbound policy, and the latest and upcoming developments at the Legislative UN. But we'll begin with the closing of the Summer University Games. As anyone who was in Taiwan this past week knows, the Summer University Games closing ceremony on Wednesday night marked the end of nearly two weeks of sporting events. There's no doubt that the University Games were very well run, had good venues, and sufficient volunteers and information for the many foreign visitors. Plus, Taiwan's team made everyone proud when it outperformed expectations with its many gold, silver, and bronze medals. So now the city government of Marikowenja and the central government are engaged in a round of patting themselves on the back with the city government and the central government leading a parade yesterday for the Medi medal winners. Joining us once again to help us better understand the University Games is Dr. Donna Wong, an expert in youth sports participation and sports promotion via new media technologies. Dr. Wong is currently a research fellow at Coventry Business School. Dr. Wong, good evening. Good evening to you, Ross. Here in Taiwan, the University Games are considered a success. What do you think are some of the successful aspects of these games? Well, it depends on how you define success. The games was held smoothly without any major glitches, like what we have witnessed um, at the Brazilian Olympic Games and even FIFA World Cup. So security and logistics-wise, the games went according to plan, mostly. The only major incident is probably um, the protest during the opening ceremony, which prevented athletes from entering the stadium. So otherwise, I think it's been touted as one of the more, if not the most successful World University Games visual has had. Well, despite that success, though, did the Games attract sufficient coverage in the international sports media from an organizer or an athlete's perspective? Um, well, this relates back to your question of um, success earlier. If global media attention defines success, then no. This is by no means an event that will attract eyeballs because of the small pool of targeted audience um, and participants, and it lacks the participation of um, star athletes. This game has hardly, I think, drawn any international media coverage, um, sad to say, and certainly, I think, not in the European continent. It didn't help that this game was overshadowed by um, natural disasters happening around the world um, in Texas, Hong Kong, China and India, which dominated the news headlines in these two weeks. Well, speaking of some of those other uh, locations that you mentioned, one of the observations about the games was that the dates conflicted with both the Southeast Asian Games and China's National Games. Did this impact the athlete or audience participation? I hardly think so. I think these events attract different categories of um, athletes in the first place. And World University Games are meant for university students. So Southeast Asian Games and China's National Games attract basically a wider pool of athletes, um, athletes and probably um, got more plant-based and naturally more audience attention. I was speaking with Dr. Donna Wong, an expert in sports promotion at Coventry Business School in the United Kingdom. But is all this praise justified? Brett, there's concerns about whether or not Taiwan did a sufficient effort to market the games beforehand to encourage visitors 
other than the athletes and their families to attend. How do you look at the marketing of the university games now that the games are over? Well, in some, Ross, um, nobody from our company was even invited to consider sponsorship. And we're one of the major sports drinks and uh, uh, major marketers in sports marketing in Taiwan. Um, so I was quite surprised. Um, that being said, uh, the games themselves went off very well. And uh, they did an excellent job when you talk about the operational aspects of the games and preparing and executing them. And Taiwanese generally do those things very well. And I, I really don't hold anything against uh, the government officials or any of the people that were involved in this because the way I see it is, is it's kind of a cultural thing with uh, marketing and Taiwan. Um, how should I say it? Uh, in our own company – we have uh, we have products that we do very well in Taiwan and market quite nicely in Taiwan. But those same teams, when they're given responsibilities for trying to reach out internationally and put our products into international markets, have a problem. It's like a myopia. They can't see beyond Taiwan. It's kind of like... I don't know if uh, any of our listeners recall the old New Yorker magazine where the New Yorker sees Manhattan first and then he looks out towards the rest of the world and, it, you know, Vegas is right there, California and Hollywood, then it's like China and Japan. I think Taiwanese, when it comes to marketing and understanding the brands around and how to bring their own products out to the world, have that kind of myopia. And I think that's one of the problems. Um, other, other, other countries... They face the same kind of problem. They seem to get over it in different ways. I've noticed because we do a lot of business in Thailand and China, they bring in a lot of foreign consultants to help them try to bring in sponsors from around the world and advertise their games to or, or whatever the events are that they're trying to, 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 to bring forth in, in their country to the world. And I, I think that that's something that maybe the Taiwanese officials should look towards uh, and, and kind of acknowledge in a sense that there's certain things that we're strong at and certain things that we're not so strong at, and then maybe we can buttress that by asking for outside help. Yvonne, you've had a lot of experience incubating Taiwan companies and advising them how to take their products overseas. What kind of advice would you give to the organizers of the Summer University Games so that they can make this a product that will keep Taiwan on the map going forward now that the games are over? They have done much, much uh, better than I expected, and uh, um, the outcome I saw. I mean, I think the outcome of the game, university game, is great. You know, and uh, it's a great marketing. It's a great promotion for the team, for the company, for the startup. You know, um, not to mention that I think it would be a good start for uh, many uh, startups to to kind of participate in the, we call the industry, or we call it the market segment, you know, it's a good start. And for those facilities, for those, you know... Uh, I mean, for example, there's venues for swimming and other, right. other sporting events. We don't want them to remain empty, right? I yeah, mean, but I, as far as I understand, it's temporary, right? It's not for permanent use. If it's for temp, then definitely they have to uh, take it out. If it's for permanent use, just like the, uh, just like the movie, you know, when you take a movie set or something. Yeah, yeah, or something. I think you can leave it as a kind of as a structure, I mean, as a structure or infrastructure for the uh, any like. Well, some thing. of it is permanent. Some of it, as you said, is supposed to be removed. Right, right. right. For those permanent, I think it would be definitely for a good demonstration for the, uh, it's like cultural, you know. In, or innovation, you know, they kind of... To push it out. To push, right, out, yeah. push out more knowledge. I, I agree with Yvonne in that, that case, Ross. And I think that, again, it comes back to the fact that, okay, the the um, Taipei city has built some great facilities and great structure. Right. And I think what Yvonne is saying is, is to put it out there, let people know. Which brings me back to what I was saying was how to do that. 
and yeah. and and it's just like like when we see an international five star hotel. Generally, the hotel owner is a local developer, and he's built a beautiful building, whether it's the Hyatt or the Mandarin Oriental, which we all love. Um, but then the 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 Mandarin themselves or the Hyatt themselves sends over the management to run kind of the software, the infrastructure to promote the to promote this building and promote the fact that the Hyatt yeah. is here in, in Taipei or that the Mandarin Orientals in Taipei. And they have a whole machine to do that. I think perhaps with other types of games in these facilities, the government might be able to do the same kind of thinking, bringing on international um, uh, companies to help them promote what they've already done, what they've already built. Yeah, just like the movie Hai Jiao Qi Hao. Right. You know, a lot of people they 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 would like to go to Kanding to check out where the oh this is the was filmed. The right. film was taken, you know, mm. Well, one of the challenges with that would be what, what Brett identified from the perspective that prior to the games, there wasn't uh, enough international Attention. marketing. Right. right. They need to address that. That's that's my big point with, with, with the games. And, and, and for instance, we're a local company and nobody came and we, we sell the number one coconut water in Taiwan. And nobody came to us and said, hey, we know this, that you're sponsoring a lot of different games. You do the, uh, the baseball. You've done HBL every year. What could you do with us here? And we know that you're selling in 23 different countries this, these products. And some of the products that we make in Taiwan, we sell out. What could we do together? Nobody's come to talk to us about that. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a, a myopia on their part that way in terms of marketing, not mm -hmm. in terms of the operations of the facilities, which, as we all know, was done very well. Well, it, it seems that most of the corporate sponsors were local companies, and they may have looked at your company, even though most of your operations are based here as a foreign company, yeah. mm -hmm. especially as uh, the face of the company yourself is, is, right. is an American. Uh, Yvonne, well, why would you uh, say that most of the corporate sponsor, sponsors tended to be local companies. Why would it be difficult for multinational companies to sponsor this kind of event in Taiwan? Or is it more an issue of what Brett identified that maybe the organizing committee just has difficulty engaging multinational companies to be a sponsor? Well, I think before the game and most international companies, they would think, oh, this is just a very local market and yeah, this is just a small, market. small event. They don't think this would be, they would bring that so much impact or, you know, or attention, you know. So I think the result was much, much well, it's 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 great, but it was, but it wasn't expected, you know. So, but wasn't the, planned. Wasn't planned, right? right. But I think it, but, uh, after this, uh, going forward, I would say that uh, the the Kevin's uh, his team or whatever, you know, or maybe Jin Jialong, the mayor of Taichung, maybe maybe then they will uh, start to uh, realize that uh, how important uh, the marketing, the pre I mean, international before, marketing international marketing is. is so important, you know, because because I have been uh, in the in the industry in the in the VCME for so almost twenty years. I know that the local the the people here. I mean. Well, I cannot say local thinking, but they're just very uh, conservative. I was in a, well, this is a better way right. to say it. Or maybe know. maybe shy. Yeah, yeah. shy. And shy, they like maybe they don't want to be so, um, uh, like you, you see different cultures. Some people are very self-promoting as right. a culture and they're out there and they're saying we're the best, we're the greatest, even if it's not true. Taiwanese are a little more humble. Yeah. So maybe that affects their decision on how they go about attracting international groups to say, this is big. We might be a small market, but this is international. This is big. Right. That's and Taiwan can be international, right? yes, because you know, as you can recall, back to 20 years ago, now we took, uh, we invited our ODM customers from the Silicon Valley to Taiwan, to Shinju Science Park. They were so surprised, you know. They most of them are American, you know. And then when they came here, they said, "Oh, wow! So people can speak in English here, right. and even the operators, I mean, you know, the technician, they can speak a uh, in English." 
That's a very well, interesting point because yeah, I think uh, what we saw from the news over, uh, over the course of the university games is many of the foreign visitors, uh, the athletes, their families, the officials, had the same reaction. Oh, wow, the people are really nice here. The people yeah. speak English. Right. And it's a very global city. However, I think, uh, as we would all agree, that the challenge really still remains how to leverage yeah, the-, the experience of the last 10, 12 days into something sustainable that will keep Taiwan on the map, especially uh, with so much competition for sports attention. And uh, one of the challenges of the University Games was that it occurred simultaneously to the Southeast Asian Games, which uh, the ASEAN countries are participating in yeah. right now. Uh, the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament just began. Uh, so it really is up to... To, I, I would say up to the Taiwan side. They can't expect the international uh, tourism right. or sporting community to want to come to Taiwan. Let's hope that the closing of the university games and the good memories will energize Taiwan's tourism and sports industries going forward. Energy news has obviously been an ongoing item over the course of the last few months. Uh, fortunately, there was no blackouts during the university games, uh, but that did not stop energy issues from being in the media over the past week with two key developments. One is Premier Lin Chen said that the Guosheng nuclear power plant reactors might have to be reactivated, even though he re- reiterated his hope that Taiwan will have a nuclear-free homeland by 2025. Also this week, Thai Power announced that they will replace eight transmission towers, uh, which are in Taoyuan, Zhanghua, and Yunlin, because it was discovered that the transmission towers are rusty due to salt corrosion, as the towers are sited near the sea. Uh, Thai Power cited as its reason for delaying the repairs that the property owners did not want to let Thai Power enter the property, or the property owners wanted more money. Normally, I would call that extortion. But anyway, Yvonne, let's start out with Premier Lin's sudden U-turn on nuclear power. Is the DPP plan for a nuclear-free homeland by 2025 something that is still possible? By 2025? Well, maybe another 20 years, I would say. So the government still says that by 2025, approximately 20% of energy will be generated by renewables. And and Premier Lin said that again this week when he was discussing these issues with the media. Uh, Is that really achievable? How does the industry and investors look at that? The major, you know, major uh, portion of the electricity source as of today is it is natural gas, you know, and still I think that more than ninety percent of the natural gas is imported. Hmm. We don't have that in Taiwan. Plus, uh, uh, and look at the cost right now. The household cost. I mean, the the the, the price or the cost or the price per do, you know, here is about like two eighty four. In Germany, it's ten, it's more than ten. In French, in not, in not not to mention the United States, Japan, yeah. So if we have to make that dream come true, you know, then you have to higher the cost. Plus, you you're considering even the even the you know the土地,征收, how mm-hmm. I say that? Yeah, so to appropriate land. Yeah, to, it's to, it to takes, build wind farms. takes much more effort and and the time and to get to to get it done. Therefore, well. 2025, not not achievable. Well, it's still, it's still a good target, a good goal, but I just, yeah, I think we need to have a good plan. But international wind companies still look positively on the potential for Taiwan, or is the, well, the profitability yes. not there? Well, yes, but it's, as I said, besides, well, I know someone from Shangwei, you know, the the wind power company, you know, they, um, well, overall, I mean, the, the government, the the bank, the investment bank here, everything here is not that ready, you know. When they think about the financing, they don't think, oh, they think this is, they can be funded by themselves, but it's much more than that, you know. Mm-hmm. Even if they uh, 
go to like Zhao Feng Yin Han or like go to whatever like CDIB, you know. But they are not used to this kind of financing. financing you know, you have to come for uh, you have to come like SG, you know, in France or whatever you or HSBC. But you know, a lot of things that we you, we take it in. We don't. We are. We have lost experience. Um, a project here. So I, I think it's. It's not. It's very complicated. Yeah, yeah that, that's a it's polite, easy. polite way to put it. It's very <laughs> difficult, actually. Yeah. And, uh, um, well, Brett, as, it, as somebody yeah. who does manufacture in, in Taiwan, uh, electricity cost is one of the cost factors. Aren't you happy with the low cost, or would you gladly pay more for electricity? Well, um, I think going back for a second to um, what Yvonne was saying first about wind, um, Taiwan happens to be one of the windiest places in the world. And. Um, but wind energy is a complicated matter, and it needs requires some sort of government initiative and long-term thinking. And there are some wind farms. I'm, I'm a big kite surfer, and I go to Guanin. And out in Guanin, there's quite a few wind, wind farms. And they're, 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 they're building a few more here and here and here. And they're used primarily almost as a showcase, I guess, as well as to power some of the facilities, the factories that are nearby there. Um, how they can expand that. It really is a long-term planning issue. Um, and so I think, as Yvonne says, it's very difficult. Um, and there has to be a strong willingness other than just to say we'd like to be, you know, uh, what is it, sustainable and off nuclear in, and, 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 and using sustainable renewables by 2025. Very difficult. Yeah. Um, very, very difficult. Yeah. From, a, from a point of view as a corporation or as a, as a manager of a corporation, I think um, – cost of energy is less important than in these days than the vision that each corporation brings as almost a citizen to the community. And our company is very uh, um, uh, deeply involved in different environmental programs that we as a company like to get involved in reforestation, um, supporting of elephants, things like that. Uh, we haven't really, uh, but from a vision of energy, it's environmental. And as we're seeing whether or not what's happened in Houston and other places is 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 a result of the climate or not i think we we really have to be considering that when we talk about the environment and we talk about energy policy and on and although i personally am not pro-nuclear, and I was horrified at all what happened in Japan, and I think that's very possible. It can happen somewhere else. Uh, at the same time, we have this climate issue, and nuclear is, um, um, what is it, carbon neutral? Um, is that the word for it, I guess? Uh, so maybe that's a bridge. That being said, uh, the government here has itself in a kind of political conundrum because they're against that uh, the, the the fourth nuclear power plant opening, but that one is far safer than let's say the second one or the first one that should be decommissioned. So I think the, the, there's a lot of political difficulties here, and it, and I as a corporate citizen and as a manager of a corporation here, I'm less concerned about what it costs my energy costs and more concerned about the safety and also the future. And what about stability of supply, though? Do the blackouts that, impact? And that's another issue. You you have that problem because simply because we haven't opened up the fourth one and let's say decommissioned the first one, which the fourth one is much safer, has a lot more capacity, um, and all that. And that that's a political conundrum. That's something that has to be worked out, I think, between the the uh, the different politicians and government officials, in, in some respect. But it must be worked out. Otherwise, you're going to have more blackouts next year and more issues next year. You can, as Yvonne said, just import natural gas and expect that to be the solution. 
Korea takes SM, TSMC as an example. Well, the need, the, the, the electricity need for them still increases, man, about like 40% annually, you know. Right. Today. And semiconductor is, I think, it's a major, it's a major portion of our, you know. The industry he, he, here, so I, I think what well, you have to think about them, their need, st- steady and steady and the reliable electricity source supplies. Definitely, I think is the number one for us. We have to take a short break now, but we'll be back after these commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. We're going to continue this half of the show by looking at foreign policy issues. This week, the big news with regard to President Tsai's southbound policy was concerned that Thailand had yet to decide if it would continue issuing visas free of charge to Taiwan passport holders. The de facto embassy of Thailand in Taipei, the Thailand Trade and Economic Office, told local media that it had yet to receive instructions from Bangkok on whether to continue to waive a 1,200 Taiwan dollar fee or if the fee will be reimposed. There was also a disagreement between Thailand and Taiwan government officials over the number of Taiwan passport holders who visit Thailand. Let's also keep in mind the difference between visa fee and visa waiver, another issue in the discussion. Actually, Taiwan currently grants Thai visitors visa waiver, which is not reciprocated by Thailand. Brett, you frequently visit Thailand. Is a visa waiver or visa fee waiver relevant to your travel decisions? Well, um, when when I first... uh thought of this question, I thought maybe it's not such a, um, a big deal. But actually thinking about it, our company has our headquarters in Taipei, but we have an office in mm-hmm. Bangkok. And uh, we do a lot of production in Bangkok that's overseen by our supply chain in Taiwan. And there are people from our office in Taiwan shuttling back and forth all the time to Bangkok. And I myself am going back and forth between offices. And I see a lot of people on the plane, Taiwanese, that are doing similar things. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of interactive business going on between the two countries. Not having the fees, uh, they start to add up. I'm sure for an even bigger company than my own, which mm-hmm. is sending people back and forth for whether it's uh, auto part manufacturing or electronics. We're doing food and beverage, but uh, we're sending quite a few people and, and spending a lot of money on the travel costs. I'm sure those visa costs are adding up. Ivan, is, is <laughs> visa fees relevant for businesses or is this just a political issue? Oh, definitely is relevant. But however, to us, you know, to a business traveler, I don't think it would be that significant but just you know just as Brett said you know if we adding up you know adding well that's up yeah that's up then it's an issue then uh, but I think this is more like an uh the I would think it's more like uh, you know the uh, the how do I say that? political Legal, dispute. Yeah. So will will Taiwanese people be offended if Thailand reimposes a fee to purchase a visa to go to Thailand, whether for tourism or for business, when Taiwan is granting no fee, no, no right. visa access to people right. from Thailand. It's not fair. It's not fair. To not us. fair at all. Right. Not fair. Not fair at all. Even the states, you know, that's <laughs> I think yeah. actually, even though it's a small issue, it's outrageous. On the other hand, though, that has to be kept in context with the government's uh, southbound policy and attempts to uh, improve relations with those countries. Is the right approach to give something first and then expect something back later? Or would you expect uh, uh, 
equal treatment on the first day. Now, Yvonne, I know you're a very savvy negotiator when it comes to <laughs> making deals. I think they are very naive. I mean, the government, I mean, Taiwan's mm. government, very naive you know, at first. You know. Also this week, the government proposed a large increase for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs budget to over $26 billion, or approximately 900 million U.S. dollars, a 9% increase over this year. Brett, what, what do you expect would be achieved by a, a budget increase of so much money? Uh, we have the southbound policy, obviously relations with the Trump administration are, are a key issue. Uh, what, would, would a 9% budget increase by MOFA be well spent? It's possible. It's possible they could be focusing on certain things that might help start, start up the economy in different ways, um, uh, help people get uh, um, uh, the products out. Remember now, the Taiwan currency is another big issue. I mean, mm -hmm. we talk about budget, but on the other side of the coin is all these macroeconomic issues going on. Mm -hmm. uh, the currency is quite strong now vis-a-vis -vis the dollar uh, and vis-a-vis, -vis, let's say, the, 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 uh, the, the renminbi. And um, and so this is another issue besides just the budget. So it might be like a, they they increase the budget and uh, investments in certain areas, but they don't have the the um, expected effect. Not because they weren't good programs, but because of other macroeconomic uh, actions. Of course, a budget is more long term than let's say a, a currency that can change overnight. But I'm just saying that uh, that we're not really sure what the different policies can happen in light of the future environment. Well, that's an excellent point. It, it requires a explanation to the public about why uh, diplomacy is so important when asking for a 9% increase. Ivana, if a company were to make a 9% increase uh, in their oh, spending budget, what kind of... 9% is a lot. What kind of lot. return on this investment <laughs> we, we, should we expect mm. for a 9%? No, I would just... I would just <laughs> no, I just reject the investment and, you know, the company. You know, 9%, most of the company here, Taiwanese company, engineer, they spend less than 9% on RD. But can you imagine that? You know, but 9% is a lot, I would say. You know? mm. And interestingly, this comes at a time when uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has actually closed some of its overseas offices uh, because it was determined that it wasn't a good use of resources to have offices in certain places like secondary cities and large countries and consolidate the Taiwan representation in a single office. Brett, is that going to help Taiwan companies like yours promote their products in overseas markets? Unlikely. Uh, Yvonne, when you talk to Taiwanese companies, do they look to government support to sell their products overseas, or do they largely say we could do this ourselves? Most outstanding Taiwanese businessmen. They don't, they don't stay away look, from the government. They don't. <laughs> they, don't they don't. They don't look for support from the government. Well, that's interesting because one of the justifications that is often given for this kind of budget increase is to say, "Well, we are going to help promote Taiwan." You, you know where the best support comes for Taiwan products abroad is usually from the cultural ministries and the activities of the cultural mm -hmm. ministries in each different cities mm -hmm. of we've done things with um, the uh, the Taiwan consulates um, and, and and offices I guess you just call them the the foreign offices in Taiwan for cultural activities like uh, shadow puppets and then we're, 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 we're promoting some products with uh, that kind or the theater different or films film festivals that have some Taiwanese films that actually has much more impact mm -hmm. in a lot of ways then, as opposed to people from the foreign ministry or the economic and trying to make bilateral or, negotiations with their counterparts, <laughs> yeah. Well, that that that's probably how some of this nine percent budget is going to be be spent. Right, right. we're, we're going to hear about forums and seminars right. and things like that, but the the impact might might be unclear. Col cultural activities are generally much more impactful, and Taiwan has a lot to offer culturally. Mm -hmm. uh, everything from its unique food 
to its uh, nightlife, to you know its Chinese uh, culture, and and just just the country itself. And I think that's where, I, I, if I was going to increase the budget by that much, I'd be putting it to things that are going to be effective. Well, speaking of spending money, we'll turn to our final segment, which is the Legislative UN's upcoming session. Next year's budget will be nearly two trillion Taiwan dollars, with infrastructure, social welfare, drug prevention. And the southbound policy, again, getting large increases. No doubt the legislative UN, which is controlled by the ruling DPP, will pass the government's proposed budget. Yvonne, what are, what's the business world looking at as far as uh, what they want the legislators to pass? Uh, do they just want them to spend more money on infrastructure and southbound policy and foreign policy? Or are there more specific issues uh, that industry would like to see addressed as a priority? The RD is spending or the early stage in investment, I think is is very are very important to the company's uh, or to a company or to a country's continued growth. I will I will, I will definitely support government's five plus two, uh, the the industrial policy. You're a partner with the government. Yeah, in we're some partner of those with the programs. government. Yeah, so we definitely support that, and this is great, and this is definitely mm. it's a need for the, at this moment. Yeah. However, I mean, under like southbound policy, that kind of stuff, so I really. And would, would the same apply to infrastructure, Brett? I mean, you, you manufacture, you import, you export. Is, is infrastructure a problem in Taiwan? Do we need to pour more cement and, and build more, more of that kind of infrastructure? Because uh, uh, the perception is generally that the roads and the ports uh, are generally pretty good. Well, I, I agree with Yvonne 100%. I think the investments are necessary. Um, and where those investments are made, as you're suggesting, are very, very important. I personally think that uh, infrastructure programs are important, not just to for public works, but because that's the way a, co a country is going to continue to upgrade itself and continue to go right. forward. Right. Um, I think uh, we just see the effect of any kind of new technology in, in, in put into infrastructure, whether like look at the, 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 the change that you have just in Taipei over the mm -hmm. last 20 years from the from the MRT or from the high-speed rail. Mm -hmm. These type of infrastructure, infrastructure projects last a long time, and they change the face of a country. And Yvonne, what kind of infrastructure spending is the IT industry looking for? Uh, well, I think, uh, for example, like international, uh, I would say like international uh, communication, that kind of stuff. So, for example, like the 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 airport and the, the, the construction or the... Whatever it, it, you call it, you name it, you know, things like that, you know. Because for IT, we always have our own plan, and it's much, I think it's much better than the government. And that's a very interesting point. As we often do for our podcast listeners, we have a bonus added segment where we look at the lighter news in Taiwan this week. This week, without a doubt, one of the more interesting stories was Annabelle the Doll from the movie Annabelle Creation, a horror movie. And Annabelle was spotted on Taiwan's high-speed rail by a photographer who immediately sent the photo to Warner Brothers, who then posted the photo on their Facebook page, which angered the high-speed rail company, who said they did not have permission to do a commercial photo shoot on the train. Now, actually, this is a trend that has taken place around the world with Annabelle being spotted on public transportation in other cities, and Taiwan was simply joining the trend. Brett, is this something to be afraid of? Uh, yeah, you better be very afraid because, as I'd like to point out, it's Ghost Month, so I don't think we should be talking about this until around Zhongqiujie, <laughs> Mid-Autumn Festival. 
<laughs> so maybe the high-speed rail is another reason for being angry. But of course, they, <laughs> on, 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 a more, on a more serious side, uh, they, they didn't cite uh, Ghost Month as the reason, although that would have been the perfect I, way out of this. Been, they would have been great if it, they could have just in, said, it's instead, Ghost Month, you can't do that. Instead, instead <laughs> they cited legal reasons, and I'm, I'm a lawyer, so I, I, I can understand where they were coming from on this, but they said, uh, you did not have permission, you didn't apply for the forms, and, and then Warner Brothers immediately said, well, it wasn't us. It was just a member of the public who did this. And, and actually, the photo was, was quite good. Uh, Annabelle looks very happy on the high-speed rail. And we were talking about the importance of infrastructure here in Taiwan as she well. She was enjoying it. She was clearly she enjoying enjoy the it, benefits. And she might have even had a smile on her face uh, uh, prior to doing the, whatever evil deeds she does as uh, the star of a horror movie. Yvonne, do you have a perspective on... Oh, Yvonne's shaking. She's scared of Annabelle. Okay, we won't ask... Yvonne. So, Brett, uh, but this goes back to the marketing issues we were discussing earlier as well in, in, in Taiwan, uh, whether it's companies, government organizations, or high-speed rail, which is sort of a mix between the two, uh, being more in touch with how to market themselves better. Yeah, it comes back to shyness. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, I guess the, the, it's a very good point because um, uh, if, if the, um, the officials of the high-speed rail sat back for a second, they could have embraced this whole concept and had a lot of fun with it, and it would have actually been a great promotional tool for the high-speed rail. Um, uh, instead, their shyness got in the way. Well, maybe they'll come around, and next time you take the high-speed rail, Yvonne, or our listeners, you'll see a whole trainload of people dressed like Yvonne. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave it there. And I've been joined in the studio today by Yvonne Chen, a venture capitalist and expert on Taiwan's IT industry. Yvonne, good night. Good night. And Brett Aaron, a manufacturer, importer, and exporter here in Taiwan. Brett, good night. Thank you, Ross. Good night. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.